Hi everyone, welcome back to the Gate of Heaven video diary. And today is a little bit bittersweet because today's episode is going to be the second last episode of the video diary. We just have one more episode to go. But of course, then we have the, the official album release to look forward to on May 23rd, the Declaration of the Bob. And also in, in advance of the album, the release of the final song from the album, the only song on Gate of Heaven, which is not based on the writings of the Bob. But before all that, let's move ahead with the story. So looking now at the point that we've come to in, in our journey through the Dawnbreakers, we, we find the Bobbies in a situation that, that seems like it can't get any worse. The Bob is dead and he whom God shall make manifest has not appeared. And over the, the two years after the martyrdom of the Bob, his followers, who were once so, so full of vitality and life and so united in their common cause, fall rapidly into, into a state of, of fear and confusion and, and disunity, uncertain of what to do and where to go or, or who to turn to. And amidst all this internal confusion, two crazed and irresponsible young followers of the Bab overwhelmed by the desperate situation that they find themselves in, cast aside the teachings which the Bab had so carefully given them. And in a misguided effort to avenge his death, they attempt to assassinate the Shah. But the, the, the chaotic state of mind of these two youths manifests itself in their inability to load a gun correctly. And when the Shah is marching through Tehran and they attempt to shoot him, the, the ammunition discharges feebly out of the weapon and merely throws the king from his horse, only, mild, only mildly wounding him. But this attempt on his life by these two young Babis unleashes in the king a, a fury that seems like it will never be satisfied until every last Babi is dead. And so in that year of 1852, two years after the Bab's death, Nasruddin Shah launches a national campaign to exterminate the Babis, a, a campaign the ferocity of which surpasses even the most indescribable brutalities that the Babis have already been put through. It's like the bursting of a dam from north to south and east to west. The streets of Iran flow with the blood of the Babis. Nabil tells us, day after day, fresh victims were forced to expiate with their blood a crime which they had never committed and of the circumstances of which they were wholly ignorant. Every ingenious device that the torture mongers of Tehran could employ was applied with merciless severity to the bodies of these unfortunate ones who were neither brought to trial nor questioned and whose right to plead and prove their innocence was entirely ignored. And amidst this storm of unrestrained violence, one of those who is directly targeted is that great and gifted poetess Tahare, the sole female letter of the living. And so in this episode, I'd really like to dedicate this time to looking at Tahare's story, because at the end of this episode, I'm going to actually share with you 
uh, another additional live song which I felt inspired to write for Tahare as I was reading the Dawnbreakers. So that'll be at the end of the episode. But first of all, a little bit of background. So Tahare was born into a, a very distinguished and wealthy upper class family in the city of Kazvin in Iran. And she was really something of a phenomenon in her hometown. She was gifted beyond anything her peers had ever known. She was a poet, a scholar. She was possessed of a, of a razor sharp tongue and, and was apparently dazzlingly beautiful and carried herself with a, a confidence and dignity that made her a role model to the women around her and at the same time made her the, the object of many a sigh on the part of the men around her, particularly the clerics who, who she never hesitated to reproach for their corruption and, uh, and for any arguments that they were putting forward that she deemed to be unsound. Uh, in fact, uh, even her, her, her closest family members lived in, in a state of awe at her brilliance. Her, her own brother once said of her, None of us, her brothers or her cousins, dared to speak in her presence. Her learning so intimidated us. And if we ventured to express some hypothesis upon a disputed point of doctrine, she demonstrated in such a clear, precise and conclusive manner that we were going astray, that we instantly withdrew, confused. So I mentioned in a previous episode that Tahare had had this very special connection with Sayyid Qasem, the great teacher of the Sheikhi school in Karbala. And they had had this ongoing correspondence. They exchanged letters back and forth about the imminent coming of the Promised One. And from her letters, Sayyid Qasem perceived in Tahare gifts of, of spiritual greatness that even went beyond what the people around her could perceive. And he really he really poured out this, this great fatherly love and affection for Tahare, and he gave her this very special name, Kuratul Ain, which means the solace of my eye. But when Tahare finally travelled to Karbala to attend the classes of Sayyid Qasim, she found that he had passed away just 10 days before her arrival, and so the student and the teacher never met in person. But Tahare then stays on in Karbala, studying the writings that Sayyid Qasim has left behind in the company of people like Mullah Hussein and Mullah Ali, and her fame quickly grows around Karbala. She becomes recognised as one of the most eloquent speakers and, and most profound thinkers in the city. And when the news reaches her about the declaration of the Bab in the springtime of 1844, her whole being is set on fire. All her gifts, all her qualities seem to multiply a thousandfold. Her courage blazes brighter than ever before. Her, her tongue becomes like a, like a freshly sharpened sword. And all her energy becomes singularly focused on enlightening the people around her about her newfound faith in the Bab. And Nabil tells us, all who met her in Karbala were ensnared by her bewitching eloquence and felt the fascination of her words. None could resist her charm. Few could escape the contagion of her belief. All testified to the extraordinary traits of her character, marvelled at her amazing personality and were convinced of the sincerity of her convictions. So eventually, and, and not without facing 
great opposition and trials along the way, including even death threats. Tahereh makes her way back home to Iran, where she joins her fellow Babis at the Conference of Badasht, that, that momentous gathering where she was destined to become the living symbol of the radical implications of the Bab's message. And Baha'u'llah actually remarks about that day, that day at Badasht, when Tahereh appeared in the garden with her face unveiled. He says, how great the consternation that seized the companions on that day. Fear and bewilderment filled their hearts. A few unable to tolerate that which was to them so revolting a departure from the established customs of Islam fled in horror from before her face. So for years, most of the religious leaders had been far too afraid to, to ever follow through with their desire to, to do away with Tahare. She was just so completely fearless and unchallengeable in her knowledge and, and her convictions. In, in fact, Abdu'l-Bahá tells us that, that, that uh, in response to some of these death threats that she had been receiving, Tahare once proclaimed, you can kill me as soon as you like, but you cannot stop the emancipation of women. But after the attempt on the life of the Shah and the bursting of this dam of royal fury, Tahare is engulfed in the storm. She's arrested by the authorities and she's imprisoned in the house of the, the, the mayor of Tehran. But the mayor's wife, who is given the responsibility of supervising Tahare's imprisonment, quickly becomes totally enamoured with Tahare and, and she treats her really like a distinguished guest rather than as any kind of prisoner in, in her home, tending to, to, to her every need and, and even inviting her own friends to come over and meet her and, and benefit from Tahare's magnetic personality. And she really comes to dread the day that Tahare should ever be removed from her, from her home. And one day, the mayor's wife is surprised to find Tahare standing in her bedroom, dressed in a pure white gown, looking like a bride preparing for her wedding. And seeing the perplexity in her hostess's face, Tahare says to her, I am preparing to meet my beloved and wish to free you from the cares and anxieties of my imprisonment. And those tears that she had so dreaded begin to fall from the eyes of the mayor's wife as Tahare tells her that the hour of her death is approaching. And at Tahare's request, the mayor's wife leaves her alone in her room and she tells us I lay sleepless and disconsolate upon my bed the thought of her approaching martyrdom lacerated my soul that day and night I several times unable to contain myself arose and stole away to the threshold of that room and stood silently at her door eager to listen to whatever might be falling from her lips I was enchanted by the melody of that voice which intoned the praise of her beloved 
I could hardly remain standing upon my feet, so great was my agitation. And the next day, there's a knock on the door, and a drunken military officer called the Sardar is standing there demanding that Tahare be handed over to him. And calm and composed, Tahare emerges from her bedroom dressed in her white wedding gown, kisses the mayor's wife and steps out the door. And the Sardar and his minions take Tahare to a, a quiet garden outside the gates of Tehran and cracking open another bottle of wine just to maintain his drunkenness, the Sardar says to his, his soldiers, let that miserable wretch be strangled and her body be thrown into a pit. And so the soldiers take Tahare's own handkerchief, wind it around her neck and tighten it until her body falls limp on the ground. And they then throw her down a well in that garden and cover her remains with dirt and stones and rubble. And back in the city, the mayor's wife stands alone in Tahare's empty room, gazing at some of the, the few worldly possessions that she had left behind, some rings, a necklace, some perfume. And she tells us, as I gazed upon her earthly belongings, I pictured to myself that winsome face, which now, alas, lay buried beneath a mass of earth and stones. The memory of her passionate eloquence warmed my heart as I repeated to myself the words that had so often dropped from her lips. The consciousness of the vastness of her knowledge flashed through my mind. Above all, her passionate loyalty to the faith she had embraced, her fervour as she pleaded its cause, the services she rendered it, the woes and tribulations she endured for its sake, the example she had given to its followers, the impetus she had lent to its advancement, the name she had carved for herself in the hearts of her fellow countrymen. All these I remembered as I stood beside her chest, wondering what could have induced so great a woman to forsake all the riches and honours with which she had been surrounded and to identify herself with the cause of an obscure youth from Shiraz. And so before we move on to the final episode of the Gate of Heaven video diary, I'm really pleased to share with you this, uh, this song, which is something of a, of a personal tribute to Tahare. And this song is really an attempt to respond to a call that is made by Nabil himself in the Dawnbreakers, a call to future generations, perhaps even to our generation living now, nearly 200 years after Tahare. So, calling out to us, Nabil writes, May future generations be enabled to present a worthy account of a life which her contemporaries have failed adequately to recognise. May future historians perceive the full measure of her influence and record the unique services this great woman has rendered to her land and its people. 
May the followers of the faith which she served so well strive to follow her example, recount her deeds, collect her writings, unfold the secret of her talents, and establish her for all time in the memory and affections of the peoples and kindreds of the earth. Close all your books and enter this school. I'll show you the secret of a new golden rule. Lay down your letters and run to the field. Your sword in this battle is the tongue that you wield. Oh, Tare, Tare, you were the eye that saw far away far away you took my breath and my heart away on the day when the heavens did roar and the earth cried out for more you were the moon in the cold winter sky the rays of your mind the solace of my eye And you were the blast to raise up the dead The sound of your voice ever ringing in my head Oh, Tare, Tare You were the eye that saw far away, far away you tore the veil from my heart away on the day when the oceans did boil and the sun kissed the soil. Chase every demon, expose every lie. Welcome the day of a great sober sigh Put on your dress for the wedding once more And cast me a smile as you pass through the door Oh, Tare, Tare You are the wing for this broken lost bird The one lonely letter that makes well the word So God speed the day when your trumpet blast will be heard And lo, the dead will rise The ones who sold this veil of lies will fall away for your face Tare, Tare, where do you lie? Beneath stones and rubble or in the glistening of my eye Tare, Tare where do you lie? Are you not the object of every man's sigh?